Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. William and Kate are back to work after a holiday with their kids. And it really sort of put more structure to what these royal visits are meant to be, you know, what the purpose of them is. And I thought this was just a great way for them to, you know, refresh the royal family in a way, sort of, you know, give it renewed meaning in a modern world. Plus, the crown is back and Megyn Kelly slams Meghan Markle. Pick and choose your battles. People <laughs> love to passionately dislike Meghan yeah. and Harry. And I feel like the woman could, you know, like Megan says that she makes breakfast for her family and somehow that's, you know, negative. And, so, you know, some people take offense to that. Plus, royal author Gareth Russell breaks down his new book, Do Let's Have Another Drink, all about the Queen Mother. She, she, she felt a great amount of grief for William and Harry that they lost their mother. She's very, very clear about that. But in terms of how the Queen Mother and Diana's relationship was at the end, it was one of mutual dislike. We've got that plus so much more in today's Royally Us. Hello to our fellow royal lovers and welcome to Royal Us. I'm Christina, that's Christine. Welcome to another big week of royal news. Actually, not so big week of royal news. It's a little quiet. I, well, we say that, but the crown comes out, uh, the new season, and so I know there's a lot of gossip on the way. <laughs> there's going to be, next week is going to be chock full of stuff. We actually are going to sit down with Andrew Morton next week. So, um, of course, he's a consultant on the crown. He's going to be featured in season five of the crown. So there's a lot to discuss with him as well. But before we get to all of that, let's see what you guys had to say about last week's show. Simone says, I always find it funny that King Charles was allowed to talk about his parents being horrible, but Harry is not allowed to say anything because he's betraying the family. Does that make any sense? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, we talk about this a lot later in the show, but um, different generations handle things in different ways. And I think that we've seen a lot of that in the last couple of years with the royal family. Mm -hmm, definitely. Felix says his mother's death will never be separate from him or William because of the trauma coupled with their ages. It's become woven, woven into their fiber of their being. So true. I mean, I could never understand what they were going through have been going through and still going through it's gotta Definitely. be it's yeah it's a trauma that nobody should experience it's, and it'll stay with them and really be a part of their story forever it really will really will all right well let's get into the royal roundup and like we said william and kate are back on the royal scene after a brief break with their kids they visited scarborough north yorkshire to help launch uh, funding to support young people's mental health the couple stepped out on november 3rd to meet with local organizations who will benefit from the funding collaboration between the royal foundation and the prince and princess of wales and the two writings community foundation so it's nice to see them out and about again 
Yeah. And this was such a neat um, new way of doing royal events. You know, normally they would visit cities and learn about organizations, but this time they actually brought a massive amount of money with them. They brought over 300,000 pounds um, and they met with five uh, teenagers basically to decide how the money would be distributed. And that was such a cool exercise and sort of empowering the youth of the local area also funding these organizations and giving them money to do their important work. And it really sort of put more structure to what these royal visits are meant to be, you know, what the purpose of them is. And I thought this was just a great way for them to, you know, refresh the royal family in a way, sort of, you know, give it renewed meaning in a modern world. I love that. And of course, a lot of people are taking notice that everybody's wearing those red poppy pins again. Why is that? (laughs) It is. um, Remembrance Sunday is this weekend in the UK and starting right after Halloween, um, people throughout the UK and really throughout um, the Commonwealth as well will start wearing red poppies in remembrance of those mm-hmm. we lost specifically in the two world wars, but also anyone who's been lost um, in the line of duty. And it's really beautiful to see everyone's got them on. You can buy them all over the place. And I think it's important that the royals kind of continue that tradition, and really um, set an example for others. Definitely. Um, well, like we said, they are back out and about. And uh, Kate also attended a rugby game over the weekend. Um, of course, she is a, a patronage of the rugby organization. So she got back out there and it was great to see her, um, you know, supporting her teams. It was so great. She was at the England versus Papua New Guinea game. And I loved seeing her with the players down at the field. Uh, she was in bright red, which is the color of England, England rug- England's color. Um, and it was just, it's really cool seeing her really step up to the plate as patron of this organization. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, you know, England rugby is, is huge, um, and hugely popular and it's very sort of symbolic for the country. So for her to be their patron, I think is, is really really good it is well as uh continuing on the sports trend we know that prince william uh loves his soccer well football and of course mental health so he paired the two together and he sat down with two england soccer internationals to talk about how they cope with mental challenges both on and off the field ahead of of course the fight for world cup is later this month so william also revealed that for him sport teaches you a crucial lesson about coping with the downside of defeat which then translates into other areas of your life. So take a quick look. You know, handling some of those really um, disappointing England results in the past, um, that was that was hard. I found that really difficult because again, the same euphoria that we had comes crashing down and, and, and whittles away. And, and that's quite hard to take because you feel all on a high, you feel all together. And then suddenly normal life just gets back on again. And it's like, well, where did that all go? Yeah. Was that was that real? What happened? And how do I get that feeling back? Yes, I always like he, he's done this quite a bit in the past, you know, marrying, you know, soccer, mental health and, you know, bringing this discussion to the forefront, which is so important to him and uh, to so many. Yeah, William is really, really working hard on normalizing, talking about men's mental health. And I think sport is something that a lot of men find is like a very safe, literal playing field. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, this kind of gives, just opens the door for men to talk about their feelings and normalize talking about their mental health. And that is so important. Yeah, so, so important. It really is. Keep talking about it. It's great. Um, Well, this is going to be something that we're going to be talking about. I'm so looking forward to this because Princess Kate is hosting the second annual Christmas Carol concert, and it's going to feature a special tribute to Queen Elizabeth II. She will oversee this holiday event at Westminster Abbey on December 15th, and it will later air on Christmas Eve on ITV. Per Buckingham 
Buckingham Palace, they released a statement saying that the night will celebrate the joy that human connection can bring by bringing together the royal family with charity staff, frontline workers, community volunteers, and military personnel. These principles are shared and personified by the inspirational guests who have been invited to the Abbey from across the UK in recognition of their tireless efforts to help and care for those around them. Um, of course, like I said, she'll pay homage to Queen Elizabeth throughout um, the program. And ITV said that the Magical Night promises to embody some of Elizabeth's biggest strengths, which she demonstrated throughout her life, including empathy, compassion, and support for others. The network noted that it will also highlight the self efforts of those who served the UK over the last years. So looking forward to this. This uh, this time last year, um, uh, Kate played the piano. It was a beautiful concert. And so I'm sure they're putting together a really touching tribute to the Queen. I'm so excited for this. I feel like last year's concert was really a coming together after the COVID-19 pandemic. And it was very emotional. You know, Kate took part in that song that was about remembering those who couldn't be with us during the holidays. Now this year, after the death of the queen, I feel like it's going to be even more emotional um, and just a very, very moving concert. But I will say, I hope this is an annual event. Yeah. I think this would be an amazing project or program for Kate to put on every year, especially now that she is the princess of Wales. Um, Camilla as the Duchess of Cornwall did something similar with a Christmas mm -hmm. tree lighting or Christmas tree decorating event every year. Um, so I hope that this is kind of Kate's annual Christmas thing, yeah. uh, because I know for our family last year, it was really beautiful. We had all my nieces and, and, and my children were running around and they would stop and sing a song as it was on the TV and we were all watching. It was just a nice, very British, very royal family affair. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I agree with you. I feel like this should be a tradition every single year. And it's something that people can definitely look forward to. I'm sure it'll be a beautiful event. Um, well, King Charles held a reception at Buckingham Palace, welcoming over 200 leaders to mark the start of a climate change conference. The celebration commemorated the end of the UK's presidency of the 26th UN climate change meeting, abbreviated as COP26, which was held in Glasgow, Scotland last fall. Well, this reception signaled the start of the next cycle, which begins um, in Egypt this weekend. So the get together was held to discuss sustainable growth, environmental strides made since COP26 and the next steps in the fight against climate change. So a lot of people came here, but it doesn't seem like the king is going to be making that trip to um, Egypt, though. It was interesting. There was this whole big story that Liz Truss, when she was prime minister, told King Charles that he couldn't go. I'm not sure that's really what the conversation was. Now we have a new prime minister. Um, and so I think the conversation has just been that Charles won't attend. However, these causes are one of the, I think the most important causes um, to him mm -hmm. is climate change, um, environmental impact, how we can sort of protect the, the earth and, you know, make these changes moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that Charles being so passionate about these really connects him with, with the younger generation who are also hugely passionate about climate change. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great, um, it's great that he was still able to be a part of it without actually being a part of it by hosting this reception. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, Prince William's uh, prestigious environmental award released, uh, the Earthshot Award released the list of 15 innovators in the running for the five Earthshot categories this year. So over a thousand solutions were submitted for the second Earthshot cycle, a 30% leap from last year. And the winners, of course, will be announced during a ceremony in Boston next month, which Prince William and Duchess, uh, Princess Kate will be attending. So the five winners will receive a $1 million grant to scale and accelerate their project goals, plus support from the Earthshot Network 
work for help along the way. I can't believe this is just a few weeks away. No, that doesn't, that can't be right. No, right? No, no. I know. It's not almost December. <laughs> no. <It's> crazy. <laughs> I know. I'm really excited about it. Last year's award ceremony was really glamorous, really, you know, top of the line. So I'm excited for this year. I think bringing it to the U.S., and just sort of expanding the network and getting the award noticed by, you know, more American audience is, mm-hmm. is great. I'm really excited for this. Definitely. And something else people are excited about is the crown. It, by the time this uh, program airs, the episodes will be out. So there's going to be a lot to get to. But so let's so fill some royalty. And this is actually interesting. So Imelda St- uh, Stanton, who is going to be playing Queen Elizabeth in the next two seasons, said that um, that people on set found it hard to work after the Queen Elizabeth's death. She told Entertainment Tonight, we filmed the day after the funeral and I felt it was difficult for the other people looking at me because we have a lot of supporting artists and they were all looking at this act of playing the person who had been buried yesterday. So it was odd. Um, she said that, well, the Crown did pause filming for a little bit after the Queen's passing. And she said, everyone was extremely sad. And I know I was very inconsolable that evening. My reaction surprised me. Of course, I would feel something, but having lived with her very closely for two years, it felt strange. I would imagine that would be a, feel kind of strange playing that character, and then she's no longer I, with you anymore. Yeah, it's got to be odd. It's, especially since um, Imelda is playing her in sort of her most recent iteration, yes. you know, the older woman with the gray or the white sort of fluffy hairstyle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost seeing the person that you are every day at work has died. Right. And I, I imagine that would have been very... Um, spe- specifically upsetting, you know, a very special sort of upset. Um, but yeah, we're all very excited, very interested to see this new season of The Crown. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't wait to get into it. <laughs> I can't wait to get into it. It's gonna, it's gonna be good. It's gonna get a lot of people talking, and uh, that's exactly what we're gonna be doing over the next, over the course of the next few weeks. Um, but this story actually got people talking too, because Mel- Megan Kelly did not hold back. What about her issues with Meghan Markle during a new episode of the Megan Kelly Show podcast? She questioned the way Megan refers to her husband Harry. She said, "We get it. You bagged." the gorilla congratulations you got the big bear and you want us all to know <gasps> yikes uh the comments came one day after megan offered a glimpse at her home life with harry saying i make breakfast for all three of them it's very important to me i love doing it to me it just feels like the greatest way to start the morning um yeah i guess she's the, doesn't like that megan keeps referring to harry as just her husband i don't know P- pick and choose your uh, battles i guess <laughs> it is pick and choose your battles people really love to passionately dislike megan yeah. and harry and i feel like the woman could you know like megan says that she makes breakfast for her family and somehow that's you know negative and so you know some people take offense to that um but you know if she called him prince harry every day she would get you know haters on one end if she just called him harry because that's her husband's name she gets megan kelly you know lambasting her on a podcast right i mean you can't you can't say or do anything right um right. you know we've we've talked a lot about how you know megan says says things that sometimes we don't agree with but i don't really agree with megan kelly on this one i think we could just yeah. let her let the let this one lie <laughs> <laughs> um all right well let's break down our royal rules and uh we have, and to help us do that this week is gareth russell of course 
He's the author of Do Let's Have Another Drink. This is a brand new book all about the Queen Mother. We love having Gareth on. He's so great. This book is wonderful. So here he is talking all about the Queen Mother's life and her interesting relationship with Princess Diana. Take a look. Excited to chat with you. Congratulations. The book is out. Do Let's Have Another Drink, all about the Queen Mother. It is an absolute fantastic read. So why did you oh. want to take a deeper dive into the Queen Mother's life? Oh, thank you so much. It has been sort of incredible how it, it's I've been very grateful with how it's been received. I I grew up, you know, I was sort of I was young when the Queen Mother was um in the final stage of her public life and CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. My late grandmother adored her and used to tell very funny stories about her. There was a sense of her the, um, mischief and her enjoyment of life. And so when I was thinking about what to do next, I, you know, I, I just finished a pretty serious uh, book. I thought, well, everything around us at the minute can be a bit grim. And maybe it'd be quite interesting to look at a figure that had a sort of zest for life and to write a book that's a little bit of a different way of writing a biography. You know, this is 101 anecdotes. So it's sort of a love letter to people who love shows like Downton Abbey and The Crown, but also people who want to dip in and find little anecdotes that they can tell over dinner parties or laugh at or be informed by. So it's that's really why the structure is a bit different as well. What was also so interesting is the early a relationship of the Queen Mother and King George. And she really wasn't that interested in him at the beginning, correct? No, there was this sort of weird uh, myth that grew up um, based on gossip that she actually was secretly in love with his elder brother. And in fact, what I found out, you know, being able to access diary records and letters from the time was the exact opposite. She was not interested in marrying a royal at all. She told her younger brother, David Bozlion, that she felt that it would be giving up any semblance of privacy, that she would be married to the country for the rest of her life. And she turned down the future king. Well, she didn't know he was going to be king at that point, but she turned down her future husband twice. It was third times the charm for her husband He, he when he proposed in January 1923. She said yes. And her feeling, the first time I think she hadn't really had those feelings, romantic feelings for him. And she also did not want to marry into the royal family. By the second proposal, she seems to have had much stronger feelings for him, but was still a bit iffy about marrying into the royal family. And then by the third proposal, it was the sweet spot. And she said yes. I love that. So funny. I think that's so funny. You know, he probably had to talk her into it and saying, like, you'll never see the crowd, the throne, and it's fine. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. A few years yeah. later. Um, and on to that, is it true that David only gave them 72? 
two hours notice that he was abdicating the throne. Yeah, I think. And she, so first of all, there's this like, it's part of the, you know, the power of movies. We all imagine her sitting around the radio hearing his, you know, David's announcement that he was giving up the throne. She actually was bedridden during the abdication crisis with pretty bad pneumonia. Um, and was very, very unwell. And so she was in her, she was very sick and they had started to suspect that something, you know, they, they'd been worried about him as king for months. But she, they came down, so just as she was falling sick, they came down from Scotland and got off the train in London and journalists were asking them questions. Was it true that the king was going to give up the throne? She gets home, gets into bed, tries to recover. And her husband's trying to phone his brother and get in touch with him and sending letters, sending messengers, telegrams, everything. Can you, can you tell us what's going on? And three days before... David tells him, by the way, three days time, I'll be giving it all up and you will be the next king and emperor. And so she really took the idea of her brother-in-law giving up the throne was against everything she really believed in. She had very sort of conservative attitudes towards duty and the monarchy. But there was also an element of personal resentment that she had been sick and that they'd been given less than half a week notice what most people get a lifetime to prepare for. What type of grandmother was she? I know we, you know, yeah. we hear a lot about that, but um, did she have any favorites? You know, are there no. any special stories? <laughs> yeah, she absolutely had a favorite. It was Charles. And, um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, she, you know, she was a very affectionate grandmother to them all. And she was, she really got on actually, I should say very, very well with Princess Margaret's son and daughter. And in fact, uh, Lord Lindley, Princess Margaret's son, used to take his mother and the Queen Mother driving in a sports car around London in disguise. The Queen Mother would put on a headscarf and sunglasses so no one would recognise her. She was whizzed around the streets in a, in a convertible. <gasps> but um, no, she really was very protective of Charles, partly because he was her first grandchild and also because she was determined that there would never again be a king who would come to the throne with the lack of self-confidence that her husband had. Her husband really had a very difficult relationship with his father, King George V, who was quite quite tough on him, very rules-driven, not very affectionate with his children children, particularly his sons. And the Queen Mother really did feel that that had left her husband emotionally uh, weakened uh, in terms of adopting a public life of service and a life in the public eye. And she did, was determined that that was not going to happen with, to Charles III, what happened to George VI. So she made a special effort to, to spend time with Charles and to increase his confidence. And also from a biographical detail, she really spent a lot of time with Charles and Princess Anne mm. because they were so young when their grandfather died and their mother became queen. And the queen and Prince Philip were then off on tour a lot. And when they went, it just was, it was thought... The wisdom at the time was that children shouldn't go on those tours because it was too disruptive for a child's routine. So the children, Charles and Anne, were pretty much left with the Queen Mother. And in many ways, they were they they were brought up by her. To a large extent, the Queen Mother was a major figure in, in both Anne and Charles's life. She also, I mean, when she died, the then Prince Charles gave this very emotional public tribute to her where he said, you know, that she had the most extraordinary um, zest for life and sense of humor and he would miss their laughs and in fact this summer not long before he became king he was he was uh, Cameron and Mike picked up he was at uh, the Braemar Games in the Highlands 
and he told a, 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 well, a, a fellow attendee, oh, you know, I used to come here every year with my grandmother and I still miss her. So it was it was a close relationship. Yeah. You know, jumping ahead um, quite a bit, you know, it was interesting in the book how the Queen Mother was baffled by the outpouring that happened after Princess Diana's death. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that and the relationship she had with Diana? Well, I think everything for the Queen Mother has to be seen in the context of what she saw in the 1940s, mm-hmm. which is that to her, it seemed very odd that there was such an intense reaction to Diana's death that, and that there hadn't been that kind of outpouring of grief when the city was being hit every night in Nazi air raids. To her, it was a generational thing. It just seemed bizarre to her. And that sometimes as a, as a historian, you have to remind yourself, you're dealing with someone who was born in 1900. Of course, it's going to be difficult, diff- difficult and different for them to process generational attitudes. And you have to be respectful of that. I, I'm certainly not going to... Um, to dismiss the assessment of someone who lived through the Blitz. But her and Diana had a really interesting relationship. In part, both of them were, they were usually either first or, they were were constantly between first and second place for most popular member of the royal family in polls conducted in the 1980s and 1990s. They both came from very old landed money families. Both their fathers were earls. They both had grown up in the world of the upper classes, and yet they were perceived by people to be the people's princesses. They were both at one point referred to as the Queen of Hearts when they were younger. They were they were seen to be the accessible royals. And initially, they got on very well. Uh, one thing I will say is there's a long-standing myth that or s- story that the Queen Mother essentially picked Diana for Charles and that she had a major role in encouraging the relationship and the engagement and then the wedding. And I assumed that going into it, the Queen Mother had been friends with members of Diana's family since a teenager. She was really best friends with her great aunt Lavinia. But Princess Diana herself told Ingrid Seward, a writer, they went for coffee and she was very clear. She said, it is a complete myth that the Queen Mother arranged my marriage. She had absolutely nothing to do with it. So I think that was, you know, I I have to take Diana's word on that one. Who else would know better than that? Um, The relationship started well. They, They did like each other. Uh, the Queen Mother gave Diana that very famous huge sapphire that she wore when she danced with John Travolta and also wore for the revenge dress, uh, as it's famously known. They were fine up until about 1989, 1990. And in 1990, Diana started to feel, at the Queen Mother's 90th birthday, she started to become convinced that the Queen Mother didn't like her and that people were whispering in the Queen Mother's ear against her. Whether that's true or not, I, I just I, I can't be sure. But the relationship then really starts to disintegrate. The Queen Mother d- did say that she felt Diana lied on occasion. Diana, by about 1994, was referring to the Queen Mother as the chief leper in the leper colony. And, and so the relationship was not a good one. And after the Panorama interview, the Queen Mother never had no time for Diana at all. That to me was particularly tragic because, of course, we now know the way in which Diana was misled by Martin Bashir and by, you know, we were now starting to see how that interview was was uh, put together. But the Queen Mother and Princess Margaret were both mistakenly off the off the opinion that Diana had organized the whole thing and had and had done it on accurate information. 
So the, by the time she passed away, the Queen Mother was not sympathetic towards Diana. Princess Margaret actively, intensely disliked her. And Margaret, in fact, stopped even using Diana's name. She just referred to her as the girl my nephew married. And yeah, <laughs> Margaret Margaret was not someone you necessarily wanted to cross. Uh, so, so yeah. And so but what I will say is there's a little anecdote in the book Um that uh, one of the last people to see the Queen Mother told me that there was a photograph of Diana in the Queen Mother's drawing room that she kept long after Diana died. So that's in the book um, and, and what photograph that was. She she was of the opinion that it was... Um, she, she felt a great amount of grief for William and Harry that they lost their mother. She's very, very clear about that. But in terms of how the Queen Mother and Diana's relationship was at the end, it was one of mutual dislike. Yes, please, everybody run out and grab it. It's fantastic. So much fun. It'd be a really good gift, too, actually. Yes, 100%. Yes. Um, speaking of good gifts, this would be a good one. So our Royal History Moment of the Week, Levive. Um, so this is one of the world's largest privately owned diamond companies, has unveiled the Empresses. So two rare bedazzling diamonds cut to honor um, Camilla, the Queen Consort, and Princess uh, Catherine, uh, and the Princess of Wales. So the showpieces reflect the titles, styles, and singularities of the Royal Magistry. So you can get the Camilla. It's a 6.4 carat <laughs> emerald shape, expertly cut and placed into a setting by Lviv's master craftsman. It's only $440,000. So <laughs> go out and get it for Christmas. Um, and then the Catherine, that's $328,000. It is a marquee cut, eight carat stone with, of exceptional clarity. And Princess Catherine shares the fortitude of her mother-in-law, often seen as a pillar of strength and stability at the center of the world's most visible family. Um, I mean, I love that they're um, showcasing these beautiful uh, diamonds and stones. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that's going to be under in my stocking this holiday season. <laughs> I have not been that good this year. I don't. <laughs> no, I'm not. not. But beautiful, um, beautiful I, pieces. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, it's such a fun story. Um, I wonder who, if, if you do get this for Christmas, make sure to send us a, a photo. <laughs> please do. Please do. All right. And to wrap things up, this was an adorable story. Um, during a fit, uh, Prince William and Princess Kate's visit to Scarborough in support of young people's mental health. They met a little girl dressed up as a princess who handed um, Kate a bouquet of flowers. That's a couple knelt, knelt down to speak with her. Her name was Callie Rose, and she interrupted their speech by uh, walking up to William and Kate, sparking laughter from the couple. This is just such a cute moment. Uh, she's adorable in her princess outfit and you know, definitely lightened up the mood. Oh, yes. And they love, you know, William and Kate love children. They love little mm -hmm. kids. You'll always see them chatting with them um, in the crowds. And I just think that especially a little girl dressed as a princess, it's irresistible. Oh, 100%. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this week's Royal Show. Christine, thank you so much as always. This was fun. I can't wait to come back next week. Definitely. All right, guys, keep commenting, keep subscribing, and let us know your thoughts on The Crown once you binge it in the comments below. And we'll talk to you guys next week.